only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Now if you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, if you're using the uh, Pew Bible, that blue book in front of you, you can turn to page 944. We'll just be reading verses 12 and 13. Now, in the, in the Pew Bible, it may be in yours as well, verses 12 and 13 are sectioned off with the next few verses, but uh, some uh, scholars put them with the verses that have uh, come up to this point. And that's where our break's going to be. We'll break from Romans for Advent and then return with verse 14, speaking about our adoption. But for these two verses, uh, dealing with what's commonly been called mortification of sin, putting sin to death in our lives. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live Thus the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray for God's blessing upon us as we study this portion of his word. Lord, we thank you that you are Jesus. Jehovah saves. And as the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Lord, as we look into this aspect of your salvation, we pray that it will bring about healthy, solid change in our lives. And that, Lord, we will be set all the more on a path of ridding ourselves of the poisonous sin that so easily takes hold of us. The remaining sin in our lives that is destructive of all good Lord, give us grace that we will set our faces to war from now on against anything and everything in our lives that opposes the glory of God. Lord, we are weak. We are helpless. We can do nothing, as Paul even says here, except what we do by your Spirit. That is it. And even now, as we listen, Lord, the enemy is here. And it is war even now that we would hear your word, that we would receive it into our hearts, that we would practice it in our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us, save us even now as we come to this precious word. We ask it in the, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, to uh, as as a way of introducing this, this 
there's nothing, I guess, when you talk about practical. Every one of us, if we're a believer, every day, this is what we're dealing with. To try to become more pleasing to Christ. To rid ourselves of all that is opposed to Christ. And so, as we focus on this passage, it, it really is just coming alongside of everyday life for every believer, every true believer. Now, it's a bit odd and a bit difficult when he has already written, there's no condemnation for those in Christ, okay, verse 1. And he says in verse 2 that we've been set free from the pattern of sin and death. Then to say, if you live according to flesh, you will die. And it, it doesn't seem like you could put those two together, that you will not die because you're not condemned anymore. And yet here, you must be putting sin to death because if you don't and you live according to the flesh, you will die. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, writes this, in a way that we can't finally synthesize in a neat, logical arrangement. Paul insists that what God has done for us in Christ is the sole and final ground for our eternal life. At the same time as he insists on the indispensability of holy living as the precondition of attaining that life. So what he's saying is this, and our theology for the centuries has held to this, that he says you are under the favor of God, you belong to him, and the only pathway to eternal life is that of putting sin to death. Those two things held together. Now, the way I would describe it is this. If we are in the Spirit... We are, on the one hand, not condemned, and on the other hand, we are put on the attack against sin. It's part of our salvation. It happens. In other words, at the same time that I come into God's favor and forgiveness and acceptance, that favor is not, is not, it does not stop at forgiveness. That favor extends to removing sin from my life. It's part of His favor. It's part of His salvation. It's part of His goodness to you. He delivers you from condemnation so that you are under His favor and love. That has to mean that He will be removing sin from your life. How could it not? Is he going to leave his children in, in the hands of the destruction of sin? No. No. He is a good and gracious Savior. So we at once are, are, are those who are not condemned, who are under God's favor, and we are put on the attack against sin. And really, the not being condemned is essential to that attack because we have to know that God favors us in spite of our sin, which we are about to see as never before. We're going to see sin in our lives and start recognizing it on more and more levels than we've ever seen it before because we're going to begin dealing with our hearts and our motives and our desires, a thing that many people have not even begun to think about spiritually. Um, and so 
in that difficulty, in that difficulty of the day-to-day fight, we have to know His presence. We have to know His acceptance. We have to know that the presence of sin doesn't mean that He's rejected me because it never was the reason He accepted me. It's because of what Christ has done for me. But the, the minute you're made acceptable to God, you are made a warrior against sin. When you are made acceptable to God, you're made a warrior against sin. And the spirit that dwells in you is capital letter, the warrior spirit. He is fighting for you, therefore he must fight against your sin. He must bring about in your life a desire to fight against sin. He must bring about the determination and the discipline to fight against sin. Else, he will not be doing you good. And so, we, the, all of chapter 8 and even earlier needs to be taken in consideration as we talk about putting sin to death. But you see, the one who is in the flesh, who is not putting sin to death, who refuses to uh, give himself or herself up to the Lord God, shows that he has no confidence in this God. He does not trust in this God's goodness. He does not trust in his authority. He does not entrust himself in any way to this God. He is going to seek to live his own life the way he wants. He's not been redeemed. He's not been redeemed. And so he who uh, lives according to the flesh will die. And the the meaning there, it, it means he certainly will die. It's a way to say, you're going to die eternally. You will certainly, you must die eternally if you give yourself to a life of sin. It, there's no way to avoid it. So the only pathway to life is the pathway of those who are being saved from sin. That's the very sign that the Spirit of God has hold of them, the very sign that Jesus' salvation is being applied to their lives. They are seeking to rid themselves of sin. And that's why he can say so categorically, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, uh, John Owen put it this way, it says, no progress in the Christian life occurs except stepping over the bellies of your lusts. <laughs> no progress in the Christian life occurs except stepping over the bellies of your lust. In other words, mortification is essential. And what will be strewn in the wake of our progress are the dead bellies of our lusts. That's how it works. And that's why the title today is It's War. Okay? It's War. And I hope in our consideration of this that you can have a freedom to fight. A freedom not to think just because sin blows up in your face, comes at you from all directions. Every time you seek to do something good, it seems like there's sin opposing you, that you think, well, I must not be a Christian. It's war. Sin will always oppose you. You will always be in the midst of this battle. And so just to have that freedom to recognize that it is war. In fact, that's my first point here today is don't, I mean, to recognize the warfare. 
Recognize the warfare. Don't be su- surprised or discouraged by the presence of sin. Does he say this? Only sinless people will live. No, but that's how we read it. Oh, well, gosh, I, if, I'm, if I've got sin in my life, if I'm all the time fighting sin and everywhere I turn, I'm, it seems like I'm, I've got sin. That's, that's the Christian life. That is it. That's the way it works. You're at war. It's present tense. It assumes if you are constantly putting to death the deeds of the body, because you will have to constantly be putting to death the deeds of the body. Every day you wake up, it's like D-Day has occurred and we are fighting for every scrap of, of, of land until we get to Berlin, so to speak. Well, Berlin's not exactly heaven, but, uh, <laughs> but you get my point here, okay? That uh, those GIs every day, it was to take back more and take back more and take back more area. And, and that's us fighting for every inch of the way because there will be resistance at every point of the way. There's always a battle. You must always be fighting. And we have to understand that Satan and sin is relentless. Uh, there will always be this badgering. There will always be the wild dogs coming at you from every direction. It's like being in Iraq and you never know when things are going to attack you. That's our life. That's the way it works. Sin is always out to resist at every point. That's why he says in Galatians 5.17, the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh is against the spirit to keep you from doing the very things you want to do. It's war out there. But, of course, we are governed by the spirit. And by the spirit... We can be putting sin to death. But with every decision, there, there will be resistance. Uh, the way, excuse me, Chris Lungard puts it in his uh, book called The Enemy Within. He says this, There is no spiritual duty, nothing godly you can set yourself to, in which you won't feel the wind of sin's resistance in your face. Does God command you to believe He is good and wise when you lose a friend? Indwelling sin sidles up with seeds of doubt and mistrust. Does God command you to help a neighbor in need? There is sin with apathy and stinginess in hand. Does God want you to long for the coming of Christ? Here is sin dangling before your eyes, the trinkets of the world. And it happens with the things most uh, focused upon God himself. Uh, It's amazing. You could probably watch two back-to-back movies that you really liked. Spend four hours... And then if you spent five minutes meditating on the Word, suddenly you're sleepy. Suddenly you're distracted. Suddenly you don't want to do what's before you. You didn't have one bit of resistance, nothing, to four hours of a movie or a ball game. Anybody this weekend? Maybe. But if you spent five minutes, then sin's going to raise its head and resist it. Then you're going to find all these reasons, all these feelings, all these things that come to attack you at that very point where you would most seek God. Expect it. And don't see at that point, oh gosh, I must not be a believer. 
That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. We're at war. And sometimes just the, to admit that you have this fight and will always have this fight gives you the freedom to fight. Instead of making you feel so bad about the feeling itself or the resistance itself that you just kind of give up. You just throw up your hands. What's the use? Everywhere I turn, there's sin. Yes, exactly. That's why we must always be putting sin to death in our lives. There's always resistance to God. And we have to realize that sin, Satan, that the world of the flesh is is opposed to God in every way. It hates everything about God. Everything. So, in the first place, then, we must begin to recognize the the warfare. Secondly, to recognize uh, the nature of sin. To recognize something of the nature of sin. Sin is always dressed in camo. Okay, And I mean camo, it's, it's over your face. You can't see the person. You can't smell the person. Sin is always coming at us this way. Uh, John Owen put it this way, is that the water that is the most still is the deepest. And so even at that point where you feel like, oh, I'm doing great, everything's going well, then sin can be at its deepest, ready to attack because it's dressed in camo. Uh, the, the sin is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all else, Jeremiah seventeen nine. I love John Donne's phrase, uh, you know the word labyrinth or maze. He says, oh, you labyrinthical soul. <laughs> labyrinthical soul. That's what we have. A soul of labyrinths and mazes that we can't begin to understand. If you had an army of electrical engineers, they can't figure out the wiring of the human heart. It is deceitful above all else. List all the deceit in the world. It, it is the heart that is, it is deceitful above all else. Why do I think the things I do? Why do I feel this? Why did that come to my mind? Where did this come from? Why did I say or do that thing? Why the inconsistency? Yesterday was great. Today is horrible. I thought I was getting somewhere. Now, I don't know if I've made any progress in a year. It's because the heart is deceitful above all else. Desperately, desperately wicked. Ecclesiastes 9.3 speaks of the madness in man's heart. Well, you and I by nature have this madness. Now, we're not under its dominion, but we must fight against it till the day we die. And we have a capacity by the Spirit to progressively weaken it and eliminate it from our lives. But Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, it is from the heart that pours out all the evil in this world. This all the more should make us realize, oh, Lord God, deliver me. It should make us realize every day, Lord, you're the only one that can know my heart. You're the one that dwells in me and understands this labyrinth of heart that I can't understand. Oh, Lord, rescue me. Oh, Lord, in the words of Psalm 139, the last few verses, uh, search me and know me and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, Lord, I submit myself to your word that its light might shine into this dark heart. 
You see, if you have that understanding of your heart, then you all the more trust in the greatness of his salvation, uh, how, how essential it is. Uh, one writer talks about, what about this creature that you're fighting against who hides in caves and then drops down on your back when you least expect it? He said, that's what it's like with the heart. It comes at you in ways that you never know. And it's like a fire. It looks like it's put out and then it bursts out in another part of the house. And then you put that out and it bursts out over here. And that's the way we feel sometimes with sin in our lives. Well, join the club. Okay? Join the club. Don't think, well, gosh, I must be the worst Christian in the history of the world. No, you're just a Christian in the history of the world. Like every other Christian in the history of the world. It is war. It is war. And that's why, again and again in scriptures, the warning. Uh, like Jesus warned his disciples that night, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Always on the watch, always at battle, because sin is deceitful. Sin wears camo. Um, and the resistance of sin is greatest when we are doing the most important things spiritually. E- even this... I find way more resistance to personal prayer and meditation than I do preparation for a sermon. Because i got to show up and preach something, you know. <laughs> got to do it. If I don't, it's going to be pretty embarrassing. I'm going to look bad to everybody if I don't. I look bad anyway, you know, with this preaching. But, man, if I don't prepare and work hard, well, you, a, a minister can prepare a sermon all week and ignore God. Ignore prayer. Ignore the word, essentially. Because that is a different kind of seeking out of the word. And so, uh, Martin Lord-Jones, in talking about uh, sin, says that uh, we must pull it out. Uh, We must call it what it is. We must deal with it specifically and recognize it. Uh, or else we're not really serious about it. So recognize the warfare. Recognize the nature of sin. Thirdly, and, and this, these, some of these I borrow from John Owen, who wrote the great uh, treatise on mortification of sin uh, back in the 17th century. Uh, but he says to maintain a strong sense of the guilt and the danger and the evil of sin. We just don't have that as, as we should. Strong sense of the guilt of it. A strong sense of how wicked it is before God. How dangerous it is to us in our spiritual lives. Our, our eternal life. And so, when we, uh, when we have an, just an attitude of casual you know, a casual attitude towards sin. We welcome it into our lives so quickly. Uh, Joseph, think of Joseph when he was faced with Potiphar's offer to sleep with her. Uh, And this young man was facing a very difficult situation because here was the empress of the empire that he was a part of, this this estate. And uh, he knew that she could make his life very difficult. And he probably knew what was at stake here. If I don't do her bidding, she's going to come against me. If she's going to go against her own husband and I don't do her bidding, 
my life's over here probably. But as he said, how can I do this wicked thing? He was so aware of the wickedness, the terrible nature that he was working for this man, serving this man, dependent upon this man for everything, and yet would turn around and stab this man in the back and sleep with his wife. The, just the sheer wickedness of it was gripped his heart. And we need to, that's why being in the Word constantly nurtures that sense. When we are meditating on the majesty of God and the authority of God and then the goodness and and grace of God to us in Christ and realize that every sin is against Him. Every sin is is an effort to hate Him and refuse Him. Every sin, in a sense, is an effort to dethrone God and put me in its place. When, When we realize the nature of sin, then we can say with Joseph, how could I do this wicked thing? And then he said, and sin against God. See, the presence of God and what it would be against God was right there in his heart. And so he risked his life literally rather than sin. And he did. He lost everything. He was thrown into prison because of that. And if he said, now what do you think? He said, well, I would do it again, the same thing. But, but you lost everything. You, you ended up in prison and you tried to do the right thing and look where you are now. I said, and? <laughs> and? I was not going to sin against God and do this wicked thing. No. You see, the cost didn't matter to him because he saw what it meant, what it was. And the, the very definition of deception... In fact, I love what Lungard calls, he has a title for one chapter called, and it's a takeoff, In the Beginning Was God. In the Beginning Was the Con. Speaking of the deception of, of Satan. In the Beginning Was the Con. The Art of Deception. And he even gives an illustration of a, a guy that tries to... Uh, in Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn, who, who tries to deceive a city, uh, a town. But he says, to make someone believe that things are other than they are so that he will do something he would otherwise never do. To make someone think that things are, not, are other than they are so that he will do something he would never otherwise do. And that's what sin always does to you and to me. To present to you something that is not the case so that you do something you would never otherwise do because you're not seeing reality. You're not seeing what sin is, what sin does. And same for me. So um, we must see every sin as a forsaking of God. We must be shaken to the core by how much God loathes sin, by how great and evil sin is against God. And David Brown says, if you don't kill sin, it will kill you. And that's true from this passage. Either you're going to be dead or your sin's going to be dead. Take your pick, because one or the other is going to happen. So we need to see uh, the guilt Uh, and the danger of sin, the evil of sin. And Joseph is a great example. He saw it in that moment. And though this 
probably life of pleasure in secret with this man's wife was before him, he was able to say no because he saw things as they really were. We need to, fourthly, develop a desire for deliverance. And some of these things up to now hopefully uh, help us to have that desire, help us to see the nature of the warfare and how we can only make progress, we can only put sin to death by the Spirit. But how often do we pray for a desire for deliverance? And prayer, confessing our sins. Confessing sin unmasks sin. It helps us to see the truth about sin. And praying the Word of God back to Him and the promises of God back to Him help us to see again the nature of sin. What captain, if his troops are pinned down and he can call artillery or air support to attack the enemy will not do that. And that's you and me. You know, we're, we would otherwise be pinned down by sin. And so we must always be crying out to God for His glorious deliverance, which He promises in Christ Jesus. And there again, the desire for deliverance means also the confidence in what God's going to do to deliver me. Because even earlier in this passage, He says, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from this pattern of sin and death. Uh, we have been made free and the Holy Spirit is, is the warrior that is fighting for us. Now, specifically, number uh, five, uh, and there are a lot of them and you may not can keep up with all of them, but hopefully uh, these will help. Um, to avoid the occasions of sin is one of Owen's particular things. To avoid the occasions of sin. And this shows that I'm taking mortification seriously. That I'm cutting it at its root. I'm stopping it where I have to. And it shows how serious I am in my fight against it. This is can be coupled with another of his that says, uh, at the first actings of sin attack it. So avoid the occasions of sin and the first risings of sin go on the attack against it. Serious to mortify sin in my life. I need to think of weakening sin, starving sin, cutting off the supply line of sin. What relationships lead me into sin? What environments lead me into sin? What media leads me into sin? And so Paul says at the end of Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its lusts. We see those things are taken as one thing for Paul. But to put on the Lord Jesus means as, as a vital part of that, that I will make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so I have to avoid those occasions that would put me into sin. And this, this, the word mortify, uh, it means that it shows the violence of this contest, doesn't it? It shows the strength of sin. It must be killed. It shows the difficulty of removing it, the radical nature that I have to do nothing less than put it to death. It's a dragon and I have to strike hard blows against it, mortify sin, put it to death. 
So the, the, the occasions of it and the first risings of it, I have to fight hard and strong. And notice these things raise the, the avoiding occasions and the first actings point out the fact that Paul says here, not that the Spirit will do it for you, but that you must put sin to death by the Spirit. Owen put it this way, uh, the Spirit, it's the Spirit in us and with us, not the Spirit against us or without us. So the Spirit is in us and He's with us. He's not against us like we're opposing Him or without us. We must put sin to death. He tells each one of you, you must put the sin to death that is in your life. It is your responsibility. Now, you have the Spirit. You have all uh, the, the resources and the power that you need. But you must put sin to death. And these notions point to the fact that sin will not die unless it's constantly weakened. If you spare it, it will heal itself. It will regroup. It will come, revive and come at you again. So it's the habitual weakening. It's present tense. If you are constantly putting sin to death. You must be always on the attack, always searching it out, always assuming that it's going to come against you. And so we're taking away its vigor and its power so that it can't exert itself in our lives. More and more, we're putting sin to death in this way. And, of, of course, fundamental to this is just the denial of self, that we have to say no to things we want to think Things we want to feel, things we want to say, things we want to do. We're saying, no, no. I deny myself, as Jesus commands us in Luke 9, 23. If any man must follow me, wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Fundamental. Basic. It's, this is the way life is. But you will always be faced with this warfare and, and don't think you're weird if you are fighting this warfare. This is the way it is. Step for step, one-on-one uh, warfare. Ephesians 6, uh, we, we fight against spiritual forces. Uh, and so the enemy is always coming at us with means that are appropriate to try to draw us away. And so we must always be on the attack even to the point that we're striking out on the occasions of sin, the very first actings of sin. And so let me just, as you think about resisting evil desire in your heart, um, think of how many other things that we tend to do with sin. Or if you don't put it, sin to death, these are some of the things that you are doing for sin. If you're not putting sin to death, then... You're, in a way, worshiping that sin. You're bowing down to that sin. You're honoring it, giving it a place in your life. You're submitting to it, making it a Lord. You're idolizing that sin. You're pampering and coddling and petting it, nurturing it, cultivating, feeding, supplying it, playing with it, smiling at it, walking hand in hand with it, favoring it, following it handing your life over to it. That's the option to putting sin to death, you see. It's war. It's war. 
And so we strike out even at the occasions, trying to think, how did I get to this point? What led to this? Oh, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any evil way in me. Well, obviously, he says here, it is by the Spirit. By the Spirit. How encouraging that the Spirit is in us. He's in our innermost being, Jesus says in John 7. And from our innermost being flows rivers of living water. Remember, He is the Almighty Spirit who made the world. And now, that Almighty God is set to make you holy. That is encouraging. The Almighty God dwells in you to make you holy, to give you the desire and the determination and the discipline to have war against your sin. He is holy and He is purposeful. And again and again in Scripture, He is associated with power, the Spirit and power. Those are almost synonymous. And so to have the Spirit is to have all power working for you and working against sin. Be encouraged that this Spirit dwells in you. And this Spirit, by, by uh, putting sin to death, we are saying yes to the activity of that Spirit. We are saying yes to God's work. We're affirming, oh Lord, this is what you are doing. This is what you have purposed. And it's a way, when you say by the Spirit, you're saying, oh, save me, Spirit. I expect you. I look for you to save me. Because you are the Holy Spirit and you dwell in me. And one of the things the Spirit does is reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. Even John Owen in the 17th century talks about this, that the Spirit is the one who brings before us the crucified, resurrected, ascended Christ and makes Him beautiful to us, makes Him glorious to us, makes us long for Him. We see in the cross what sin did to Christ, and it makes us hate sin. We see God's hatred and loathing of sin, that even when it rested, when it was His own Son, when sin was upon Him, He did not spare Him. We see God's hatred of sin. We see God's love in the cross for us. He would go to that extent to deliver me from sin. Will He not? Will He cause His own Son to die to deliver you from sin and then leave you in your sin? No. You can pray expectantly for the Spirit when He works in your life will bring before you this Christ. And the gift of this Christ that is brought through the Spirit is a release from sin. He is Jesus. Jehovah saves. And so... As we depend upon the Spirit, uh, He reveals the cross to us. The Spirit reveals to us and holds before us the promises of God's Word. He holds the Word to us. As you know, many of you, the uh, well-known phrase in Psalm 119, uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Word has a cleansing, protecting effect in our lives. And even in 2 Peter 1, when he talks about the precious promises of God, he says, by which we've escaped the lusts of the world. These promises of life here and forever cause us to to turn away from sin and the deception of sin, the lies of sin, to constantly give us ourselves over to the precious promises of God and not the promises of sin. 
brothers and sisters, you'll follow promises one or the other. You'll either follow the promises of sin or the promises of God. Because you're going to go for life as a way of life. Which life will it be? Who are you going to give your life over to? Sin or Christ? And as a final thing, we fight sin by cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. We crowd it out, okay? We plant a whole field full of rich, good things so that the weeds hardly have room to grow. We, we crowd our hearts with worship. We crowd our hearts with admiration and adoration and the majesty of God. We crowd our hearts with gratitude. We crowd our hearts with a passion for Jesus. We crowd our hearts aspirations after God and a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. There's mortification, as John Stott says, but there's aspiration, you know aspiring for God, and that drives out other passions. We fight the fire of sin with this glorious fire for God Himself. And oh, be encouraged. Be encouraged, as he says later in chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Brother or sister, if God is for your holiness, what can stand in the way? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. As he says earlier in chapter 5, verse 20, the law of sin came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. If sin has increased in your life, grace will abound all the more. No matter how bad it's gotten, grace will abound all the more. And Paul himself cried out three times about the flesh in his, the, the, the thorn in his flesh. But he finally said, my weakness, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And that can be the case, whatever your sinful weakness is, it can be the demonstrating uh, stage, the, the, the very uh, panorama, the very place where God will manifest the greatness of his strength. It doesn't matter. Your weakness is the opportunity for his salvation. Have hope. Have expectation. God loves to lay hold of broken, helpless people. In fact, he says, that's where I dwell. That's where I dwell. High and holy place and with broken, contrite people who tremble at my word. Praise God for such a Savior as this. Let us pray. Lord, save us. Continue to rescue us. Give us hearts that get accustomed to war and wake up every day to war and have a constant renewing strength and energy for war and have the joy and peace of Christ sustaining us for war and have the favor of our God and the love of Christ which uh, governs us as we engage in war. Oh, Lord, supply everything that we need. You are the one who by your Spirit has set us free from that treadmill of sin and death. It must happen. It must happen that your people will be more and more freed from sin. Lord, give us this grace. We rest in you to do it. We confess, Lord, 
how little war there has been many, many days. How we have <clears throat> could hardly be described, many of us in this past week, at being at war with sin. How we have pampered sin in our lives, toyed with it, followed it, groveled before it, welcomed it, fed it, but not fought against it. Lord, turn us. We repent. We admit this, Lord. That part of our sin is we don't fight against sin. And from that we need deliverance. Lord, may this verse take hold in our lives. May it be exhibited in all of its beauty in our lives. For the glory of Jesus Christ. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?